question to start us off. Um, how many in this room, I'm kind of just curious, have been in the delivery room seeing a baby be born? So every mother gets to say, yes, I saw my baby be born. But who else has been in the room at that time? I'm just curious. All right, so about half of us. What was it like? What's it like seeing a baby be born? Give me some words or like your experience or a memory or something. Marvelous. Yeah, it is. It's a marvelous. Awesome thing you'll ever see. It is. It really is. What else? Painful. Painful. Okay, we're getting to the reality now. It's not all marvelous and wonderful. There's pain. Right? What else? Spoken by a mother, of course. The two men started us off, and then the mother gave them the reality. Trace. Not immediately, but soon thereafter you realize, um, oh crap, that's my kid. <laughs> <laughs> All three of them, I said, that's mine? <coughs> How are you doing that? No. Um, the unselfishness, that you, you learn actually a different love that you never could experience, and then mm. you learn that how to give part of yourself up mm. for mm -hmm. that, kind of like with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, kind of there's something <laughs> that only mothers can know through that, for sure. Fathers a little bit, but mothers truly. What else? What's it like? Anyone, anybody want to say messy? Anybody want to say long, protracted, like delivery? Um, scary? Right? Scary. Is this going to work? Is the baby going to be okay? Is the mom going to be okay? Like, there's some fear in there for sure. Unknowns. A lot of unknowns. Yeah. What else is it like? Well, the Hershey section right? was clearly a potential for history. So that. The choice of baby with the <laughs> expectation of is this safe? But right. It, right. It changes. It's not just, okay, I made it through the C section. Right. Now I, it's, what will the C section be? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I like all these emotions mixed up in them and happy ones and fearful ones. and um... For your father, though, there's no problem. Down the hall. <laughs> Down the hall is fine. No pain, no worries. Uh, well, if you haven't been in that room or you haven't had a child in that way, maybe you adopted her, or maybe you can't have children, maybe you have not yet had children, do those answers make you feel now that you got it? Oh, now I know what it's like. Oh, I got that. I hope not. <laughs> But it's a thing that can't really be described. It has to be experienced. But everyone who's gone through that has a similar experience. It happens a similar sort of way. It could be a natural birth, it could be C-section, it could be emergency, it could be overdue. There's many variations, but it happens in sort of a familiar pattern. When you experience that these things that you feel and things that happen that are just unknowable until that moment. And that's the birth of a baby, the birth of a human. You can't really describe it. You can know about it, you can try to prepare yourself as much as possible, but then you just find out, oh, this beautiful experience is happening, and then you live it in forever after, you're changed because of it. On this Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the birth of the church. The church was born. The church came out kicking and screaming, preaching in the streets, speaking in all different languages simultaneously with miracles and healings and 3,000 people being saved in one day and baptized. It must have been a long baptismal line just to get to the water and get out. 3,000 people. 
but just to have it described to us, you can't really get it unless you've lived through the birth of a church. So my next question is, how many people here have lived through a church plant, or the beginning of a church, or the birth of a new church? How many people in this room? Some people with New Hope, you know, 30-whatever years ago. Others? A few, yeah. There are some things that happen in that moment when God is, what's the right word? Um, manifesting. When, when he is entering in, just like the baby's entering into the world, when a church enters in, when God creates something new, it is a miracle. A church is not like starting up a school. Well, now we have our curriculum and students know. The church is an act of God. And every new expression of the church is a new expression of an act of God. It is not possible for people to start a church. It's a misnomer. It can't be done. It's not a thing. The Holy Spirit like enters into the world, carves out a niche and says, here's a piece of heaven. Heaven, my, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is an outcropping, an outjutting of the kingdom of heaven into this world. And it's a miraculous thing. And just like with babies, waiting for that first cry, need that. That's a step in there. The mother's waiting for the relief of the labor or the surgery to be done. There's certain patterns that happen. There's the preaching of the gospel. You can't have a church break into this world without Jesus being proclaimed, otherwise it's not a church. The Holy Spirit manifests in different ways and there are miraculous things, powerful things that happen that couldn't happen any other way because the Holy Spirit is entering in. I see us on like the eve of delivery day. We're expectant, waiting for this new thing to happen to us. And just like any parents, you can't know what it's like before you get there. But we've been trying to prepare ourselves and trying to be good parents. But then once the baby is born, we will see the things that you only see in the birth of a church. I am 100% convinced of this. In just days, weeks, months, time, we're going to be seeing what it's like when the Holy Spirit cracks through from heaven to earth and does something new. It's not just we're transplanting new hope to a new location. That's not what's happening. What we as people are going, we're going to something new. Something new is being birthed and we're invited into the process. We get to be a part of it and it's fantastic. But I want to read the Pentecost story from a, a parent, like an expectant parent's perspective. What are we going to experience? Will it look exactly like the book of Acts? No. But it will have all the familiar patterns. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a work of the Holy Spirit. So when you see the miraculous thing ha happening in Acts 2 as we read the Pentecost Sunday story, ask yourself, which, which person will I be? What will happen to me? Like, I'm intensely curious about this for myself. What's going to happen to me in the birth of this new church expression, this new part of God's kingdom? How will he cause me to want to teach or preach? Will it be the same as I've always done? Will it be different? How will he want me to pastor or lead? Will it feel different? Will it feel similar? This is our example. This is not the law of how it must go. This is a wonderful description of what the Holy Spirit does. And you see all the gifts represent. You see the teaching and the hospitality and the giving and the prayer. Like So you don't have to just be Peter with his big sermon. Although if you feel like standing up and preaching down top when we get there, stand up and preach. Things might happen to you that you're not ready for. Moms and dads, to your point, Tracy, things happen to you when you have a baby. It's not just all about the baby. You change. Are you ready for that, church? Are you ready for God to change you so that you are not the same you 
because of this new life that he's bringing in. I think, I know, this is what God is going to do. These are the thoughts that I keep having happen to me in my times of prayer. And I feel like that is my role as a pastor, is to try to listen to God to say, what are you saying to us and what are you trying to do here so that I can say, I think this is what God is going to do so that we might be ready for it when God does it. I believe when we get to our new place and a birth of a new church happens, a new expression of the church, there are going to be conversions. There are going to be people who come to Christ and there are going to be baptisms. People who are baptized into Christ. There are going to be people that need to learn the word of God. There are going to be people that need us to welcome them in to our fellowship and to our friendship and to hospitality. There's going to be amazing things that, how did that even happen? Because that's when God does something. That's what it looks like. And we've experienced this here at New Hope. It's not just there, but I want to read this story to us this morning. This historical account, Luke wrote it down from the records from the apostles that were there and recorded it in the book of Acts. So I would just like to read it as um, preparation for expecting parents. There's this famous book, uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Some parents might know about that. Maybe yes, maybe no. But it's like written with all the things, like your baby coughs in this way. Oh, no, it's going to die. Like you don't know what's going to happen to your baby, and everything is nerve-wracking because it's the first time. And so you read this book. Oh, okay. That's called colic, or that's called this. Kind of lean on others' experience. That's what I want to do here. This is what to expect when you're expecting the birth of a church. Uh, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to Taunton? This is God's way of working. And I think and I hope that you see... It's all stuff that God does. So don't worry, don't stress. You don't have to like get it right. I don't have to get it right. We just have to obey, we have to follow, we have to be there. And certainly be ready, if it's ever possible to be ready for God, for the things that he might do through us. So with that lens, please turn to the book of Acts. Um, let's read the account of that first day of the church. And for those that have planted churches, be thinking. For those that have been on the first day of a new church in a new place, be thinking. Which of these things did we see for us walking down the road, driving down the road a few miles? It's not that far geographically, but it's new. It's a new work of God. And what of these things will happen to us in the days, of head, uh, days ahead? So Acts chapter 1, I'll read 1 through 11, and then we'll move to chapter 2 and, and continue there. Acts chapter 1. The author Luke says, In my first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the story of the ascension. This is what we looked at just last Sunday. Flip to the beginning of chapter 2. Let's move to Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate today. Acts 2.1. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed, and they were astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians, and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are just filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes a prophecy. Joel was 350 or 400 B.C., so 400 years earlier these words were written. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Best sermon of all time right there. Verse 20, uh, yeah, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held. For David says concerning him, again a prophecy from hundreds of years early, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. So brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is, tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did Jesus' flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, then what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so with many other words, he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And these devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, they were together. And they had all their things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. That's the birth of the church. What amazes you? What, what makes you question? What stands out to you? What's beautiful to you? What do you notice? What do you wonder if it might happen to us? Where does this account leave you right now? What do you think? What do you feel? What do you wonder? Sally. something in our limited views that decide when something will or won't or can or can't. I like the word can in this conversation. What else? What does it make you think about? Tracy? Well, when Jesus told the disciples, I will go and I will send a helper. Mm -hmm. There it is. Yeah, it's not all on them. Right. It's not all on us. Yeah. Helper. And it was promised, I wonder if they understood, like, oh, mm -hmm. that. Well, do we understand? So, give us that. It's like a, 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 a confident ignorance. Yeah. I don't, yes, I got it, but I don't know. We'll find out. God is good. Danny. Yeah, it struck me how this really was an account of just like God simply accomplishing his purposes. Mm -hmm. And he said throughout scripture mm -hmm. that the day that came upon them would be coming. They were all just being faithful. They didn't, it's not, you know, they didn't plan it. They, they didn't have a special 
pilgrimage day like we're having, you know, yep. like right. <laughs> no no planning. They were just waiting, being faithful, praying, and um, they were pack, passive, active participants. Mm -hmm. if, if that's such a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love those thoughts. Yes, Ian. I love the timing of Pentecost. It wasn't. It was a, an interesting time, right, with that festival where people were coming from around the world back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, <coughs> where God did this amazing thing, and then that seed was just spread back to wherever these people were going to around the world. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. description of what they were doing. It's just like the perfect picture of Christian community and all the things that they were doing together. It just sounds like, oh, that's so nice. That's like what we want, but that's like the picture that Jesus gave us or painted for us of what it looks like to be in fellowship with one another. Yeah. They didn't just like start services or something or have like yeah. a church building. They really were the fellowship. Yeah. David and then Ellen. I like how the first thing that happened after they received the Spirit was the, the need of Peter to proclaim the gospel right in that moment. Mm -hmm. And that is like a pattern. You, and he preached Christ. To me, was that like Christ-centered preaching. And then the Spirit uh, falls upon the other disciples. And I like that pattern. Being filled with the Spirit, proclaiming Jesus, lets others convert and be filled with the Spirit. So it's like that, that movement of the Spirit by the Christ-centered preaching. I really like that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Ellen? I was thinking back, you know, probably over 50 years ago, my parents were at the beginning of Grace Chapel. That's right. Being yep. birthed. And then, so when this church was coming, I was very excited yeah. that, to be a part of, you know, the foundation of this church. Mm. And what I was thinking of is now we're birthing a new church. I mean, we're still in Hope Chapel, but it's a new time, a new place, a whole new era. Um, and I was thinking of what it was like when I had Nikki, and I, you know, like the wonder of never having been a mother and then having a baby. Yeah. And then a little over, almost three years later, Michelle was coming. And I was very excited to be pregnant, but then all of a sudden when she was born, I was like, I didn't know if I could love her as much because Nikki was just such you know a whole part of the life so now you've got this new creature coming into your home yeah, and going to be going to be screaming but at that point you know I just wasn't sure right. and I love her as much because right. I love Nikki so much right. and you just but you, you just realize that you know it, it took you know, days of adapting, like, you know, it's all new again, but, you know, th then you just learn to love her as much because you really, you're not splitting your love, your love is multiplying. Yeah. And then Bobby mm -hmm. comes along, and, you know, and now grandkids come along, and you just love all of them, you know, it's yeah. just, there's plenty of love to go around, and so, to bring it back to the church, you know, we're, we're birthing a new, something different, something we're not maybe sure of, something that we're used to the old, so, you know, especially old people, you know, have a hard time moving into the new, but I think we're doing a good job of it, us old people. Absolutely. Um, and, <laughs> 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 It's, it's going to be a, a, a new baby to 
have and to hold and to love. So that. Yeah. That's so Amen. well said. Amen to that. Yeah. This is a beautiful baby here. It always has been. But it's kind of grown up a little bit. Now there's a new baby coming. It'll be beautiful as well. It will. It will. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Okay, Mom and Tracy. Well, when I read it today, that when the tongues came, they spoke in languages they didn't know. Yeah. And in the context of going to taunt, what struck me is I don't know what I need to know. I don't know what, I mean, Johannes and Martina are here. I practice very little German, but I don't know what the dialect, what the language will be in talking. Yet, when they spoke, the people were so taken that they're only responsible. What do we do to be safe? What do we do? Um, that's what I want. Yeah. There are a few different versions of speaking in tongues in the New Testament. Um, Paul talks about it. Sometimes I speak in tongues and my mind is unfruitful. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels. So what's an angelic language? So there's some like give in, in what's meant in each instance of speaking in tongues. Uh, and so that's where different traditions have kind of gone more in one way or another way. But this particular situation, speaking in tongues, is not just an angelic language which is not an unfruitful language. They're literally are speaking English, and it would be as if Johannes and Martina are hearing German. But I, I don't know German. I'm just speaking English. And they're Galileans. They're untrained men. They're unschooled. The backwater kind of most ignorant of them all. And yet they're educated. They have all this wisdom from Jesus. So this is, a, this is more of a miracle. This would be literally speaking English, but having everybody hear a different language, speaking in foreign languages, speaking in tongues. And um, so it's a great example of of a true, powerful they miracle. They didn't need school, they didn't need education, they just needed the power of the Holy Spirit and took it from there. Yeah, it's amazing, it's truly, truly amazing. Tracy, maybe one or two more and then we'll, we'll, we'll go a little further. I was just gonna say our tongue, same thing, it's a good example of where tongues was needed. Absolutely. It's not, we're all, we can all understand English here, there's no reason for that to come out, come out translated, right? But mm -hmm. I think often we think that speaking in tongues is, is that jibber jabber, that's, that's it's more like how it's received, not how it's put out. Like a prayer language. Or, yes, yeah, and we'll sure. do the same in Taunton with the downtrodden, the, you know, whatever, from homeless to prostitutes to whatever. We're gonna have that language, we're gonna trust that we are, you know, educated people, we are very blessed and fortunate to have homes and all this stuff, and they're, um, you know, just pray that they hear it differently, that what comes out of our mouth is not holy, righteous, whatever, that they can relate and hear yeah. the love that we're trying to offer them through Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, what were you gonna add? Yeah, just with this same speaking in tongues thing, I'm just thinking about how they might have felt in that moment too, mm -hmm. like we're speaking English or whatever we're speaking, and then this other person who definitely doesn't speak the same language is listening or reacting like, I don't know, just like, do you understand me? They weren't questioning anything. They just kept, you know, going on and trusting the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure how easy or hard that was at that time, too. But uh, knowing that that also is going to be something we need to step into. Of like, okay, this is weird. This is different. But I'm going to trust, and I'm just going to continue on um, to do what I feel called to do. Right. You know, that is hard to do. I feel like oftentimes we might feel called to something, but it's like, eh, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah.
going to do that day, they were going to let him do through them. And it didn't matter if it was their experience before or not. Yeah. One more? Oh, Martina, yes. Well, I don't know if my English is good enough. I'm sure it'll be great. I think which is... Yeah, I'll hear it in English. You just speak in German. <laughs> This is also something to, for us to hear. There's no such thing as being cut to the heart if the only things we ever say is, God is good, God is love. Why would you be cut to the heart by that? The good news is the good news because there's bad news. The gospel is both the, the lostness of sin and the grace of God. But a lot of times, churches and Christians have an easier time playing in the grace part of the gospel and talking in the grace part of the gospel and a harder time talking about the justice and judgment and wrath of God part of it. It is good news that God punishes sin. Do you know that? Because that means that no one gets away with anything. No one gets away with anything. Not us, not the worst person in the world, not the best person in the world. God judges justly. But we don't want to be lost when we face that judgment. We want to survive that despite ourselves. So there's the grace. So they were not cut to the heart because they said Jesus is great. They were cut to the heart because they said save yourselves from this world, which is like going to hell in a handbasket around you. And that's how the world's always been. I think if we look at the world around us, we would say the same. There's so much lostness, so much hurt, so much pain. And with how things have been affected in the last couple of years, pandemic and otherwise, like feels like there's more depression, more hurt, more pain than ever. But it's always been hurt and pain. Maybe it's a, it's a high point in the curve. But we want people to get out of that, 
to be rescued from that. But we can't ignore the bad news and just give good news. We just say, this is wrong. This is what lostness feels like. But there's hope. So I, I want to take your point and make it a challenge to us. If we're going to be Peter and preach the gospel, it has to have two halves to it. We are lost without Jesus. And Jesus doesn't care how bad we are. If we turn to him, he will save us. It's both halves. Keep that in mind. Some churches can get lots of members and numbers by preaching only the good half of the gospel, the good, good news, if you want to split it, an incomplete gospel. But how many of those people will actually be in heaven when they die? You don't know. How many of us have been cut to the hearts that we say, I'm just worthless without you, Lord. I need you. Well, those people go to heaven. That's us, the forgiven people. You have to know that you need to be forgiven. You have to be feeling the guilt of that sin to be set free, right? So let's not just go to a new place and be like, Jesus is great. Jesus is friend. Jesus is your buddy. Like, well, we're all lost, right? And then we get some nods and you get some people like, I feel lost. Well, that's what Jesus came for to rescue us. So please keep that in mind. The cut to the heart requires a full gospel presentation. Not just, there's heaven, but there's heaven and hell. Not just Jesus saves, but what does he save from? The fact that we were born in sin and we are lost without that faith. It's, it's got to both be there. And um, without it, then you have sort of like the commercial consumerist, oh, Jesus is another good thing that I can add to my life and that's cool. No. You need to cut everything else out of your life because it's killing you. And then, Jesus is going to be the only thing you can hang on to, and it's going to work. Like, that's gospel, and it's good, but let's be, let's be faithful to the full gospel, otherwise we'll never see the good things that come from the real gospel. We just have to. Um, there were a couple of instances in the New Testament, I'm not going to read them, but if you're making notes, in Acts 19, 1 through 7, Paul goes to uh, Corinth, and he says he'd been baptized, and they say, uh, he said, do you receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we never even heard of a Holy Spirit. We are baptized into Jesus. What's this Holy Spirit thing you're talking about? And so he explains to them that believing in Jesus isn't just a head knowledge thing. It's supposed to come with power. God gets you. God fills you. You change. And many of us here I know have experienced that. That's the Holy Spirit changing. So they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They sort of accepted the full gospel. That means it's possible to go to church and be baptized and not have the Holy Spirit. This is an example. So this is a moment where we should also ask ourselves, well, is that me? Maybe I went to church my whole life. Maybe I was baptized even in water to Jesus. Have I received the Holy Spirit? Have I seen miraculous things happening in my life? Have I felt the peace, the patience, the kindness, the joy, the things that come in from it? Like, do I identify my manifestations of the Lord the same way they did? Do they pop up in my life? If not, then this could be a Sunday where some of us pray for one another to actually receive the Holy Spirit. Are you interested in that? Are you willing to do that? Is that out of your comfort zone? Has anybody thought of that? I offer that to you. Maybe this is a Sunday to go beyond just learning about Jesus to actually receiving His Spirit. We're going to need it. It's going to be a new church because the church is the work of the Spirit. It only happens that way. Also then in Acts chapter 8, 9 to 24, um, there was a, uh, a man named Simon who practiced magic in that area. And he asked them that they would give him the Holy Spirit so he could have all these powers and miracles. So he was trying to manipulate God so that he could get the power. Be careful, church, too. Don't just pray that God does the amazing stuff for us that we want him to do as if it's a magic trick. 
This is what God wants to do. And he's just looking for people to say, excuse me. It's not, I would love to speak in tongues and lay hands on for healing. I want to have a healing ministry. And I want to be a prophet. And I, I just, give me these things, Holy Spirit. Well, that's a magic trick. Unless God is doing something miraculous through you. And in most cases, God kind of like takes someone over. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening, but God's working. That's faithful, humble, giving God the glory sort of things. So it's more important for us to sort of be receptive to the Spirit than it is for us to say, God, give us the power of your Spirit as if we love him just for what he can do for us. That's not real love. I love you for how nice you are to me. I love you for how you make me feel about myself. I love you for what you provide to me. That's not actually love. That's manipulation and it's selfish. And so if we're going to have a true love for God, it can't just be what for what he does to us or for us or gives us. And he never answered this prayer or this is still a problem or I just love you and give or don't give, but I'm willing. And so that brings me to two prayers that I kind of want to lead us through today. I think... The first prayer that the church needed to pray was, Father, forgive us. And then after that, Father, give us whatever you want to give us. I think the forgiveness and the repentance must come before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It, it's the order. The baby comes down the birth canal and then comes out. Father, forgive us, and then the new life happens. It's in this order. And we don't often uh, have prayer times that are just purely focused on confession. And repentance but I would like to suggest that we need that if we've not been seeing the Holy Spirit moving powerfully in our lives if we're not sure we even have the Holy Spirit then that's actually an us problem God's doing fine guys he's got no issues at all and the Holy Spirit's as powerful as ever so the question is how am I blocking you Holy Spirit what am I doing to thwart you or quench you or resist you? The Bible gives five ways that we negatively impact or interact with the Holy Spirit. I'd like to tell them to you. The first one is you can resist the Holy Spirit. You stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's in Scripture. So maybe you're feeling those nudges, 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 like, no, not now, God. Not today, God. Not now, Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to put myself... The Bible says that those people that keep resisting in that way they like sear their consciences. You can't feel very much anymore because you're just constantly saying no to God. And after a while, you don't feel anything. It's like, I don't feel God saying anything. Well, it's because you've been saying no to him for so long, you don't even hear him anymore. So I want to add that in our prayer. The prayer that I'd like to pray is one where I pray and you repeat after me. I'd like to lead us all through a prayer, and I'll include these things in it. So be thinking about them. There's resisting the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Star Wars might have come up with the force. That's kind of an ambiguous thing. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, the, not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the Godhead, a triune God. And that part of God, He lives within us. So we speak to Him. Not that God is a man or a woman, but that's how God's tried to describe Himself to us. So Holy Spirit, will you? The Holy Spirit, He. We grieve because if we have been given the Spirit, then every time we sin, it's like He's right there looking out through our eyes at exactly what we're looking at. Every time we think that thought that we shouldn't, He's there in our mind thinking alongside us, just so sad and disappointed and longing for more, waiting 
for us. So we do, we grieve the Holy Spirit, we resist the Holy Spirit, uh, we quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire. Another verse says you can quench that fire. People who are first Christians are kind of like excited and they go for it and they're talking about it. And then after a while, they kind of like mellow out. They get to like the embers stage of a fire. Um, but if it's not stoked, it kind of goes out. And through sin or through neglect, sometimes people even pour water on that fire instead of burning brighter. We can't be people that quench the Holy Spirit. And the two most drastic examples we have with Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, we gave all of our things to the Holy Spirit. We, we gave to the church and they were lying to look good so that they might be viewed as generous. And they were struck dead in that moment. Peter says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Can you get away with that? He's inside of you. He's here. Like God will demand your life today. So the, the extreme penalty for them in that case, uh, we're not always struck dead, but we still sometimes try to hide or to lie to God. It just doesn't work. Don't even try. Submit. Confess. Don't lie to God as if he can't know every intention of our heart. And the last one is called uh, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. God, I reject you, I deny you, I want nothing to do with it, reject apostasy. Now, we have some cases with like a Peter, where there is even like a restoration after apostasy. So like God is involved even in the worst situations. You know, could a mass murderer be saved? Like God is bigger than our categories, but if we live in a state of apostasy, if we reject God, it says if you would deny him, he will deny you. If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you in front of my father. So there is a rejection of God that condemns us to hell, that prevents us from partaking in the Holy Spirit in heaven. Like, that's a thing. Be aware of that. The rejection of God is a rejection of eternal life through him as well. So those are the five, and those things require repentance. So if any time, at any point, we could say, you know what, I really did resist you, God. At any time, at any point, I tried to like talk myself out of that, or justify my actions. If at any time we felt like we were on fire for the Lord, then we just put it out. If at any time we're like, God, you're not there, you're no good. If any of those things have been in us, how do we expect to see the Holy Spirit moving powerfully? Should we then just say, well, God, just kind of like sweep those things under the carpet and let's move to Taunton because I'm sure in Taunton everything will be different. What's going to be different in Taunton? Nothing. So who we are now is who will be there, but we need to be in the Spirit there. So that means we need to confess all the ways that we're blocking the Spirit today. Otherwise, we'll just be the same tomorrow. And that's not who we want to be. We want to be used in new ways. It requires confession. It requires repentance. They were cut to the heart because they felt like these are things that we need to get off of us to be saved from this corrupt generation. So before we say a prayer together, asking God to fill us in the ways that the Holy Spirit does, uh, I would like to ask you to bow with me and pray and repeat after me. Uh, these phrases that I, I lead us in, are to pray for uh, repentance and submission and confession. Uh, I feel like these are wonderful phrases that we all need. If you don't feel comfortable with a certain sentence or phrase, you want to think about it more or not repeat it after me, that's between you and the Lord. I want this to be a, an earnest prayer on your part, not just parroting some words that I say. So please think about the phrases. And if you're willing to pray them with me, uh, then altogether I'll read a phrase, and I'd love to invite you to repeat after me and pray it on your own behalf. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, member of the triune God, I humbly confess my resistance to you. 
I'm sorry for causing you grief. I regret all the times I hid from you. I admit I have often put out your fire. And I have become desensitized to your voice. Spirit of God, please forgive me. Spirit of Christ, please redeem me. Holy Spirit of love, please cleanse me. I submit to your power. I relinquish my will. I long for your baptism. And I pray for your filling. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Thank God. Hear our prayers and respond according to His will. Now, the second prayer I'd like to lead us in, and, and this is how we'll, we'll conclude and then move into communion in just a few uh, moments, is um, we see that there wasn't just one way that the Holy Spirit so we see a sermon from Peter, but it does not mean that everybody here has to be a preacher. We saw some people having meals in their homes. We saw some people giving generously to meet needs. We see um, others, the breaking of bread, communion, others, prayer. Um, we see administration deciding how widows could be fed and needs could be met. We see leadership, we see faith, all the spiritual gifts, which are really just ways that the Holy Spirit shows up in people, were there. So we will find, if we hyper-focus too much on a few of the gifts, we'll be lacking. It's like a bad diet. We'll be anemic in some ways or something because we won't have them all. What we need to pray is that the Holy Spirit does it all using all of us. Get used to horns, by the way. We're right on the road where we're going. They're happening. We made many a sermon where I'm just waiting for the fire truck to finish, and then we get right back into the sermon. Get ready. This is city. It's a little different. Um, Another prophecy, a little prophetic moment for you. Get ready. Um, so I encourage you not to put a, a category. Maybe God wants you to speak in tongues when we get there, and that'll be the way that he manifests his power through you. But that's not part of your experience or your tradition. Maybe he wants you to have words of knowledge for people. Maybe he wants you to heal people. We need to be open to all of it so that God is the one who gets to choose how he decides to use us instead of saying, what do I want to be when I grow up as a Christian? I would love to, and whatever we're going to pick there is going to be lame and self-centered and us trying to find glory for ourselves or someone that we admire to try to be like them instead of being like ourselves. The right prayer is, Holy Spirit, if I'm about to enter in to a healing ministry that goes for the next 10 years, I'm ready. Holy Spirit, if I'm about to start speaking in tongues and I don't even know what to do with that, I'm willing. Holy Spirit, if you're about to start telling me things in my head, words of knowledge about the people around me that I don't know how I know, and I say it to them, like, how could you know that? I'm up for that. That's the prayer. It's not the what we want, it's the whatever you want. So, okay, God, forgive us for blocking the Holy Spirit in any way we have, but please just give us everything. Pray for all the gifts. You're not going to get them all, don't worry anyway. God says that you know, no one has all of them, but... Desire, you know, desire the gifts of the Spirit. Desire, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for one day or a hundred years, has nothing to do with that because it's a work of God. 
This will be a comfort zone stretcher for us to just say, okay, who am I supposed to be? I tell you, I'm praying that for myself. Just because I've pastored here for 16 or 17 years does not mean I know what I'm supposed to be in this next season. You know, caring for a baby in a family is much different than caring for, say, like a 17-year-old, right? Different skills, different parenting, different conversations happen. So we've lived in a 25, 35-year-old church family, but now we're going to the baby. I don't know what will be required. How many sleepless nights spiritually? How, how difficult will it be? What will be some challenges? How beautiful will it be to, to experience the new life? So I'm just praying for myself. Just show me day by day, Sunday by Sunday, week by week, conversation by conversation, who am I supposed to be? And then over time, we'll look back like, oh, that's what it means to birth a church. That's what it means to be a parent, a spiritual parent. And it'll just happen to us. And so this prayer that I'd like to lead us in, and I'll invite the music team to come forward because we're going to go straight to communion after this prayer. Um, this prayer is for the baptism and the pouring out of the power of the Holy Spirit. So for anyone willing to open themselves up to something that God would want to do in you, these thoughts, these prayers are written to that end. And so, uh, again, we'd just love to lead you in a prayer. If you are willing to pray these thoughts with me, uh, give them thought, make them your own words. But uh, please, pray with me now. According to your will, Father, fill me with the power of your Spirit, that I would be baptized in your Spirit, poured out to me by your Son. If it be your will, cause me to do miracles, use me as a healer. Cause me to speak and interpret in tongues. I invite you to make me a preacher, an evangelist and a baptizer, to give me supernatural discernment, to give me profound words of wisdom. I invite you to make me prophesy. To make me a godly leader. To cause me to share my resources. And to have supernatural faith. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to work your power in me. In these ways or any others you desire. May your will, not mine, be done in my life. 